Oh my goodness, it's so good to be here with, with, um, with such, a, such a great group of people. And God is, uh, is really in control. Do you know that? You know, I was thinking, this is kind of a paper-passing filibuster. Um, I was thinking about some things as I was praying the past couple of days, and the way that God has moved in the chapters in my life, and how that at various times I would wonder, Lord, what are you, what are you doing? And, you know, why is this happening this way? Why does it seem that there are, um, you know, this, this, this isn't working the way my mind says it should work. But in retrospect, you see the way that God was always true to what he promised. And his, uh, his valley, his sila, often takes a lot of different routes to get to the point of, of his fulfillment. And very often, the solution or the fulfillment of the promise is exactly accurate to what God said, but it is often different from the way we perceive that it would be. And so I say that to, um, to bring us around to talking today about the fear of the Lord and talking about wisdom and how there are answers in the word for what God is doing right now. He is not at all perplexed by what we're facing. And in fact, when you view things through the scripture, you can see that God is doing exactly what he said he would do. And wisdom is, um, God's been preparing us in wisdom. God has been teaching us about wisdom. In fact, the, the the very, a lot of the messages that came forth in, in March to our seminar was about how God is developing us in wisdom and how we partner with the spirit of wisdom. And really, these months after that have been times where God has been really adjusting us and, you know, working works within us and truly preparing us for what is coming. The magnitude of what is coming needed there to be a respite for us to align ourselves. And, but what he said about wisdom is, is happening. So this year of wisdom, even though it's different from what we, what we all thought would happen, in fact, our, our scheduling was all adjusted and readjusted, God is still moving in exactly the way that he ordained to move. And so I want us to go through a progression here in the first two pages of how God has spoken to us about wisdom and what we see being played out throughout our world and, and why it's happening right now. And um, I believe that the Spirit is going to speak through us and to us from his word. And Hopefully, as we receive the word, we'll, we'll begin to adjust ourselves in expectancy for what God is going to do. So I'm going to preface this by saying wisdom, from what we have studied in the scripture, is a dimension of God's heart that speaks to us about what he is, how he is going to take his light and his truth into the darkness and to then develop um, a new thing that God has desired to do. It's very timely, it's very tactical, and it's very, very much uh, in the creative measure of, of what God does. And um, wisdom <clears throat> is different, truly divine wisdom is different from what man thinks wisdom is. Man thinks wisdom is that you just have a lot of experience and, and you can go to somebody for wisdom. And really what we're talking about there is, is you go to somebody for, for a counsel or you go to somebody for a, uh, advice based upon their experience or their know-how. And we, we equate that with wisdom. 
But God's wisdom, God has counsel. God has all the advice that we would want. God knows everything. And so I'm not saying that God doesn't move in that way, but truly wisdom in the scripture is a, a telling of how we partner with God so that we can move with him into the new and according to the exacting dimensions of what he has ordained to do. And so we see here in Isaiah 11, um, and again, we've taught on this so many times, so please forgive me for, for skipping through some of these because I don't think I have to go back through and explain why 2 plus 2 is 4. If you need further teaching about this, there is a, there is a reservoir of teaching here uh, about the spirit of wisdom. But some people in the general church, if they believe in the seven spirits, they will say that they are detailed here uh, in Isaiah 11, and they really aren't. This is fully, if you look at it, this is the spirit of wisdom, and it, it, everything about it is the wisdom of God, and, and it's the spirit of, of Yahweh. So Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. He shall judge after the, he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. This is excellent for us, and I really believe the Lord is, is um, refining this within us. Um, you can break this into three different groups of expression. When you're partnering with Yahweh, you're partnering with the plan of God. You're partnering with how God wants to do a thing. And um, you, you see, first of all, that this spirit will rest Nuach upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, this is chokmah, wisdom, and then understanding, which is bina, which flows with ben, which really means God is wanting to share with you as a son. He wants to partner with you according to what he's wanting to do. Secondly, in the, th the threefold progression, you have um, the spirit of counsel and might. And this is really the spirit of being prudent, Asa, and Gaborah, which is from Gabor, which is the mighty man. So when God desires to partner with you and he, he desires to, to be upon you so that you can move as a son, he's going to lead you through times then where he is exhibiting your ability to demonstrate the might and the power of God in the midst of the valley and you're going to be demonstrating sage um, prudence. And you're, you're, you're not going to be blown about there in the valley. You're going to stand as someone that actually knows you have purpose, knows you are called to be a son, and knows that God is in control. What he said he's going to do. We may not understand everything that he's doing. If we did, where would the walk of faith be? How would we walk with God in faith if we knew exactly everything? That, that, wouldn't, that would be an automaton. That would be a robot. That would not be a son who is trusting in God. And when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you fear no evil because God is with you. And the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The end of it all is going to be that you have died which is from Yara, you have fellowship with God, you have walked with God, you have talked with God, and you then understand that you've been moving in the fear of Yahweh. And through that process, you're going to be made of quick understanding. That's just ruach. Quick understanding is the breath, the spirit of God. And, and it's going to be in the fear of the Lord. And he, you're not going to judge after the sight of your own eyes, and you're not going to make judgments based upon what you've heard with your ears because you're walking with God. And if there was ever a time where we needed this, 
Yeah, we always need it. But in the days we're living in, there are so many wacky things going on that your eyes see and your ears hear. And the conclusions that you come to, we need to really be judging based upon what our identity in God is, what he has promised, how we're walking with him. And that's really what the spirit of the Lord is in, in wisdom. But it revolves around the fear of Yahweh. Now, what is the fear of Yahweh? And, and I think that you can see in society that there is no fear of the Lord. But we must walk according to the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, I just broke it down. This is a definition that just, just, just came to me in, in practical understanding. I know we've given other kinds of, of definitions from the words, but just boiling it down into a bowl of oatmeal for us this is what the fear of the Lord is. It is who he is, what he says, and what he requires. This is a discipline we must have and we, as we walk in partnership with God. And as we do that, we will, we will see God come upon us and it will either generate respect or derision of the Lord among those who either observe or resist it. Now, I know that we've, again, we've talked in specifics about how that we, uh, uh, we really develop this in our hearts, but just basically the fear of the Lord is who he is, knowing God and what, he's, what he is uh, saying to us, listening carefully to what he says, and then what he requires we do. That's the fear of the Lord. That's the fear of God. And that's really what you need in the developmental stages of moving in wisdom. Um, whenever we're moving, anything you see today, anything you, anything you encounter, you need to be asking yourself these three questions. Who is God in the midst of this for me? And, and what is he saying? And what is he requiring of me? We may know bits and pieces of all of those last two, uh, but we, we embrace them and we do them. That's how you walk in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not that you just, oh God, I don't want to do anything wrong. He's going to smite me. Uh, the fear of the Lord is, is that you, are, you honor him so much that you want to know him, you want to hear from him, and you want to respond. That's the fear of the Lord. And with all of the other things that we've taught about this, that's where we are. Now, this is a year of wisdom. And you see the, the, you see the enemy maneuvering. You know, just the three things that I said the fear of the Lord is. You think about what you're hearing today in the progressive churches and even on the street. They say, there really isn't a God. And he's certainly not in control. And he's certainly not speaking. And anybody can do whatever they want to do. You see how it just absolutely obliterates what the fear of the Lord is. And this is a mantra that's being taught and expressed on television, on the radio, and in the streets. The fear of the Lord is, is really not being, in fact, it's not only not being embraced, but it is being derided. And I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm just saying, let's just read the box score. That's what's out there. So you cannot separate the fear of the Lord from wisdom. It's, it's everywhere here. Our, our, our ruach in the spirit of God is based upon the fear of the Lord, according to this. When God's spirit moves, he's moving upon people who know him, who are hearing from him, and who are doing what he says. And that's the fear of the Lord. And how is the fear part, yare? Well, it's, it's more for me. I don't, I don't want to miss any of these things. It is the number one priority for me. And, you know, there are times in our lives where, you know, we, uh, we absolutely give tremendous attentiveness that we don't miss something. 
And that's kind of like the perspective of what the fear is in this fear of the Lord. I don't want to miss any of these things. It is imperative for me, in my priorities, from the, from the deep places of my heart, that I don't miss him and that I don't miss what he's saying. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying, and that I fail to do what he's asking me to do. That's the fear of the Lord. It's not, oh, walking around like, you know, you've got a list of do's and don'ts like some people in the old days. I, man, I remember when the holiness movement was out, and it, it you know, we all live, ought to live a clean life. Don't get me wrong. But the holiness movement was basically a bunch of do's and don'ts when you boil it down. And sometimes you'd get around those kinds of people. What do you mean those people? You get around those kinds of people and they're, they're just telling you, you know, you got to do this and you got to do that and you better not be doing this. I remember one time a friend of mine who transferred from Zion Bible Institute and um, and bless Stefan went to Zion. That's kind of a funny thing. Our brother from Switzerland. And it was a good school, don't get me wrong. But there were some folks there that were really legalists. And there was, uh, he was telling about one day he and a couple of his friends were out on the, the lawn in, on the campus there. And they were, they were playing Old Maid with cards. Old Maid. Any of you play Old Maid? I'm not asking if there's any Old Maids in here. I'm, did you ever play Old Maid? Well, one of these ladies who was on staff there saw these boys playing with cards, and she let out a shriek and went running through the halls of this dorm saying, there's sin in the camp, there's sin in the camp. I never knew old maid led people down the road to hell. But for that lady, it was just borderline. You could smell the brimstone right now, you know. That ain't brimstone. You know, it's, it's just a really strange thing. So I, I, I don't want to be that kind of person that says, well, the fear of the Lord is a bunch of lists of do's and don'ts. But, and there are some things you ought not to be doing <laughs> that are listed right here. Not on my notes, but in, in the Bible. And, um, but the fear of the Lord is not that. It, the fear of the Lord is partnership. It is. And when you're walking with God and you say, Father, the priority of my life is to serve you, that's the fear. It's the fear more inside you that I don't want to miss you. I don't want to miss what you're saying. And I don't want to miss what you're requiring. I don't want to be outside of the truly outside the camp. I want to be right in the center where you are. And the fear part is your measure of disciplining yourself from a heart of passion that you don't want to miss God. You know, I don't, I don't want to follow a list of rules of do's and don'ts. I want to have those words etched on my heart that I won't miss him, that I won't sin against God. And so that's really what the fear of the Lord is. And you see, uh, and, and, and really with that, you're moving in wisdom. So when you're that kind of person, you're of quick understanding, literally ruach, in the fear of the Lord. If you're living that way, you're going to be more sensitive to the nuances of whatever God's wind is, is saying, whatever he's moving in. And so that's really what's described here in Isaiah 11 about how God moves. And it is intrinsically linked with the spirit of wisdom. And everything about sonship, everything about partnership, everything about moving through the sila, everything about coming on the other side of that valley into fulfillment, it's all wrapped up in the fear of the Lord. Because the, the, the guiding thread through it all is your desire to know God, your desire to walk with Him and to be as one that is listening, and your desire to fulfill Him uh, and, and fulfill His ways having listened and learned. What a privilege it is to walk with God. What a privilege. And so that is of necessity what, it, what is required to move in the spirit of wisdom. Uh, Psalm 111, I just picked a few of these verses. Uh, 111 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Job 28, 28. And unto man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And depart from, to depart from evil is understanding. Remember, depart is to, is to act as if evil is repulsive. Evil, not people, but evil is repulsive. You don't want to be anywhere near it. You are, you are not going to stand by it. So depart from evil doesn't mean that you just keep hanging around with the wrong people and you're knocking over piggly wigglies and you're down there doing what, what boys do that they shouldn't do. You know, and I, I, better get, I better hightail it out of there. That's not what depart from evil is. You shouldn't have been there from, to begin with. You know, if, you're, if you keep getting in a place where you have to hightail it out of evil, you're doing something wrong. How are you getting in there to begin with? You know what I'm saying? And so... Um, but, but to, to detest wickedness and to detest what, what is going on that is not godly is, is, really, um, is, is really should be your measure of understanding. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Oh, God called people a fool. Well, what is a fool? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We're hearing a lot of that today, aren't we? You know, and it's a fine line between saying God is not in control, his word is not true, anybody can do whatever they want to do, God's not going to judge you anyway. There's a fine line between that and just taking the next inch over and saying there is no God. Because what kind of a God is there if those first things are not actually going on? You know what I mean? So the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, and fools despise wisdom and the instruction of the Lord. Psalm 33, 34, 7, and this is a verse that we have so much enjoyed. The angel of Yahweh encamps or encircles round about them that fear him and delivers them. So the fear of the Lord is something that is essential when we're moving in wisdom, and this is... Uh, this is, what God, um, this is what God is really developing in us. So what in the world is going on in this year of wisdom? Well, let's look. Proverbs 1, verses 20 through 23. Wisdom cries without. She utters her voice in the streets. She cries in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, how long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity and the scorners who delight in their scorning and fools, remember we just defined that, hating knowledge, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you and I will make known my words unto you. That is a prophetic word for where we are right now. God is going to pour out His Spirit. God is going to visit this world with a mighty touch of His almighty presence. There is going to be, and it's already begun in some places, uh, a, a tremendous move of God that has been prophesied, that has been declared in the Word for the times of the end, the former and the latter reign. And I believe that, that for, for there to be that kind of release where God pours out His Spirit, there has to first be this type of thing that we're seeing throughout the world. And I, I separate this. I want to state this just so everybody is clear. In, in what I'm saying here, I am not talking about race relations. I'm not talking about that at all. And anybody who knows me, including our our African and our African-American brothers and sisters in this place and in our network, you know my heart, you know I love you, and I want you to absolutely share this American dream with whether you're Latin or whether you're Caucasian or, or whether you're Asian or whatever you may be. And um, so I'm not speaking at all about the need for there to be reforms. I'm not speaking at all about there to be the need for things to, to take that next step forward to fulfillment and, and true equality. So my words in, in what I'm saying now regarding the nation 
is separate from that. There is also going on right now. There are words that are legitimate saying things need to improve. But then there are a lot of words that are saying let's just abandon everything that we know. Let's tear it down. Let's destroy it. And let's, let's start all over in a, in a Marxist environment. And so you find in the streets and in the gates and in the concourse of the cities, you find wisdom crying out right now where there are scorners who just delight in scorning or simple ones who love to be ignorant and they love their simplicity. That's, that's an interesting word study too. We don't have time to go into it. The ignorance is bliss and there are a lot of people who are just blissfully ignorant. Uh, whether you're part of the wall of mothers or whatever you are, and you can look and see what's going on in Portland. I mean, it's just anarchy. It's anarchy. I, I heard a, a, a man, a, a, a little younger than me, who's a retired Marine Corps um, soldier, an African-American man, and he went down through the streets of Portland with the American flag. And you, you may have seen a clip of him, but I heard him interviewed the other day, and he said, that he loves this country and that he, he served this country and he, he defended this country and he's not going to surrender what he loves to those who just want to tear it down. And he was saying that members of some more extreme groups followed him to his house and gave, even gave threats to him. Now, so you can see that there are a lot of things that are really... Uh, in this year of wisdom, erupting, and God is showing. He's, he is, he's erupting, allowing them to blossom forth. Things that we never saw were being taught on our college campuses. Things that we never saw that were actually being threaded into the fabric of a lot of churches and denominations. And now they're raising up and they're saying things that are absolutely against what we have just discovered the, the fear of the Lord is. And so uh, it's, it's kind of like a cancer that, that is, you know, there, there are good things that God is wanting to see done, but this stuff is moving in the midst of it and moving along. And, and at heart, it is a demonstration of demonic wisdom. And, and it shouldn't surprise us because when you read in Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 19, this is a description of Satan. It's the prince of Tyre, the king of Tyre. We've studied about the, how the prince of Tyre is an, a human operative. The king of Tyre is a demonic. And, and, and as we read this, you'll see this can't be anybody but Satan. Let's read it. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say, Thus says the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden. And I doubt that there was a man that was ruling on, a, on the throne in Tyre that could say, hey, yeah, I, I was in Eden. No, this has to be the enemy. The garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and the, the gold. The workmanship of your tablets and of your pipes was prepared in thee the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub that covered. I have set thee so. You were upon the holy mountain of God. You walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity, well, was found in you. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But by the multitude of your merchandise, they filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I am casting you out as profane from the mountain of God, and I will destroy you, covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Thou hast corrupted your wisdom by reason of your own brightness. I will cast you to the ground. I will lay you before kings, that they may behold you. You have defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities. There's a different word, and that's avon, avon, which is just basically whatever you do to cover your own sins. But by your iniquity, the iniquity, Ewell, of your traffic, 
Therefore, I will bring fire from the midst of you. It will devour you. I will bring you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of them that behold you. And they that know you among the people will be astonished at you. You will be a terror and shall never and, and never shalt thou be any more. Now, here we see very clearly that the enemy was endowed with wisdom. And it says that out of the midst of his wisdom, the brightness that generated because of his partnership in wisdom as a son of Elohim before the fall, that that brightness he began to take for himself. But he understands wisdom. He understands what it should be. And here in the word of God, it says that it was his wisdom. He was full of wisdom. And that because he allowed some part of that fear of God to become corrupted, and I suspect that he, we know he felt that God's plan for you and me was unjust, that somehow his rights were being taken. And he then fueled off of that and convinced several principalities to fall with him. And uh, many other demonic beings generated out of that. And, but it was because his wisdom was corrupted. Do you see this? So now you have right now God saying at the beginning of this year, this is a year of wisdom. I'm going to move in my spirit across this world. I'm going to see, uh, you're going to see my hand moving in, in tremendous ways. And that's still what God is doing. However, there is a predictable opposition. Isaiah 59, 19. So shall they that fear the name of Yahweh from the west in his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Wow. To those who fear the Lord, those who are walking in wisdom, those that are walking in the, the understanding of God. It reminds me of what James says in James chapter 1, verse um, 13. Um, oh, actually, we got a long ways to go. I'm just, I'm just referring you to James here because James speaks about the wisdom of God. James speaks about um, w wisdom that comes from um, the demonic. And it's actually James 3, verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with the meekness that has to be in the midst of wisdom. If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, don't glory in that. And do not lie against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is three things. Earthly, sensual, and devilish. Earthly, because it's coming out of whatever measures of iniquity are, are invested here in this earthly plane from the fall, from the curse. Um, sensual, which is really something that speaks about your psyche. It speaks about what you think and how you process things to go after what you want. And the third one is very clear. It's demonic. That's the word for the demonic. So there is a wisdom that's in the world today and in our nation that is born out of the earth that is very soulish and very prideful and very selfish, and it's being orchestrated by the devil. And it says that in the midst of this, where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. You wonder why there are so many atmospheres the enemy is releasing now. Because it's a perversion of divine wisdom. And it's being orchestrated by someone that God created who was said to be full of wisdom. And the corruption of his rebellion came out of a, an iniquitous twist off of wisdom. Do you see all this? So we're, we're dealing right now. The enemy knows what God has said. And so 
he is countering with his own version of devilish wisdom. He's telling people, you don't need the fear of God. You just seek your own truth. You don't need, in fact, you know, you go down the list. God's not in control. He's not going to judge you. He doesn't care what's going on. You don't have to fear him. You can't know him anyway. Who can hear from him? You just do whatever's right in your own eyes. Follow your own truth. That is the anti-fear of the Lord. It just is. And so you see the enemy all over that. And you see what God wants to do. The battleground is in the gates and in the concourses and in the streets of the city. And wisdom, divine wisdom cries out. And it's being countered by demonic wisdom that's also crying out. Do you see this? Now, why is all this? Because it's just the way God moves. For them that fear the Lord, when the enemy comes in, not if, but when. You know, the Bible, this is an old teaching. You know, the enemy comes in one way, he'll flee in seven. But he, God always lets the enemy, that's why unclean spirits would always confront Jesus when something good was going on, whether it was the Mount of Transfiguration, whether it was the first sermon, whether he was speaking about the Sabbath and healing someone with a crippled hand on that Sabbath. And then there was always an unclean spirit right there to say, who is this man? Let's kill him. And that, that really shows the fairness of God in the equation of spiritual warfare. But it also shows us to walk wisely and to not lose our head as soon like Chicken Little when something happens. I'm glad to have Janet back. I, I, I need that laugh. <laughs> but, you know, it's really true. Um, and, and it makes such perfect sense. And look at what God says. The wisdom that is from above, and that's what we should be walking in, is first pure. Has, didn't we say at the beginning of all of this stuff that's been going on, where after the seminar or even leading up to it, that God was working on us to purify us, to cleanse us, to searching the inward parts of us to say, okay, I need you to correct this. I need this. You need to repent of this more fully because there's still an inkling of it that could lead you off. Isn't that what we've said? Isn't that what's been happening? So the wisdom from above is first going to manifest itself in a demonstration of purity. And then it's going to be peaceable. It's going to commit itself to what God wants to do. It's not going to be just people sitting around singing kumbaya and burning weed. I mean, it's going to be peaceable. And we're, or whatever kind of incense you burn at the steward's house, I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. And then it's gentle, which at its heart is patience. You know, haven't we had to search? And, and it's a wonderful thing to walk with God in this way. As he's preparing us for wisdom, while wisdom is crying out in the streets and the enemy's mobilizing this earthly and this sensual and this demonic wisdom, God is working on us to be honing the fear of the Lord, to be pure, to be committed to what he wants to do, to walk patiently, to wait it out, not thinking, oh, God, I just don't understand what you're doing. This is just terrible. You need just to take a chill pill of the Spirit and calm down and recognize that God has not lost control. This is just the way he does things. He just does it this way. I mean, how many times have we talked about the timing of the Lord in Scripture? I, it still boggles my mind, so many of them. Like, you know, Moses, you know, the, he, he leads the people out of Egypt, and the firstborn are dying, and they're loaded down with riches that the, the Egyptians give. And then the Spirit directs him to the bank of the sea and makes him wait there for the enemy to catch up. What in the world is God thinking? You know? We've come steamrolling into this year of wisdom. We had meetings planned all over the world and others that were coming, people wanting, the hungry for the things of the Spirit. Man, we're ready to roll in wisdom. And God says, wait. Hold on there, brother. And we wait. And then God starts working in us. Purity, peace, patience, entreatable. That means to be teachable. To, to learn the mercy and the good fruits of the Lord and then to uh, have uh, not to be 
to be able to be taught by God and to adjust our thinking in ways that maybe we weren't thinking right about without partiality and without hypocrisy. All of those things is how we move in righteousness. But uh, juxtaposed against this is the demonic wisdom orchestrated by our enemy who was filled with wisdom from the day he was created. And that's from where that... That's from where that evil sprung out from, out of his brightness, out of wisdom. And so now he is battling in the, the streets that God has ordained for wisdom to be manifested in and in the cities and the nations. And he, there's a lot of crazy things that happen, but in the midst of all of it, we need to keep our mindset on the fear of the Lord. And to know that God is in control. And to know that everything he promised is going to be. And so this is really where we are in this year of wisdom. And it makes perfect sense. Our solution is to wait on the Lord and to do everything we can to embrace the, um, his wisdom and the fear of the Lord. And to know that he's in control He's, he's in perfect timing. To see what we're seeing, we need to begin to proclaim the wisdom of God. We need to begin to look for what the Spirit may be saying to us in the still, small voice about what is coming. You know, there's so many examples of this in Scripture. And how people deal at this moment is going to determine whether you move forward with God or whether you miss the most splendid opportunity you've ever been given. Elijah springs to mind. You know, he had just seen a great victory on the top of the mountain. And, and then he was going to wait on God. And um, Jezebel said words against him. And those, that atmosphere of transition really started to weigh on him. And he's standing up there and God's wanting to speak to him in the still, small voice. And Elijah is not dealing with the things that, that he should be dealing with. And he basically says, you know, he just goes down a list of things that God was really reminding him of. And instead of being healed from them, Elijah made them his, his statement. And, and I think it's also interesting that we've said, and we're seeing this happen, that the Elishas are coming, you know, where you have the, the Elijah and Elisha working together, or whether it's Saul and David working together. Did you find it interesting that in this demonic wisdom, he is mobilizing a lot of young people? And, you know, you see the, the, these young people, I don't know what you see, but it breaks, it breaks my heart as an American and as, as someone who wants the Lord See these young folks, um, and I think God's calling is on your life. <laughs> the enemy's convinced you to follow another path, but I'm declaring over you the goodness of God, the true wisdom, and this is what we must have. So to me, that's some reflection for us and we want to move into the second sermon now and and uh, it's going to be quick because it's you see Dan, Dennis has already started serving communion for us up here so we're in good shape we're, we've saved some time there <laughs> oh my goodness I love the Lord isn't it good to be family the other day um, Thursday I was in here praying, and in the midst of praying, I heard a voice saying, not one of his bones were broken. And I just kept praying, because I was waiting for the next words, and I didn't hear any other audible words. And then later that night, I was up in the happy place at my house, and that thought just came to me so prevalently, and I knew immediately what it was talking about. It was talking about the Lord and his time on the cross and then yesterday morning in prayer 
I heard the voice again. Not one of his bones was broken. And, and it just, it, it, I, I recognized that this was something that God was reiterating for us to apply and to discover what it means for us right now. And in John chapter 19, as we approach this communion table, and this does link together with what we've talked about earlier, otherwise I wouldn't have done this. Um, then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and the other which was crucified on either side of our Lord. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they broke not his legs, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he, saw, and he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knows that he saith true, that you might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Why was it necessary for not a bone of the Lord to be broken on the cross? Well, the most obvious one and the one that you, you really should just notice, first of all, uh, before we start moving into the purity of the Passover lamb or the other verses that we have here, is that the fact that Jesus actually had the spear, which represents dominion of a king, go through between his ribs and pierce the cardial sac of his heart where the water that surrounded the heart came out and blood also came out. That testifies without dispute that he actually died. And you can say, oh, he died of a broken heart, and you can go off on all these other things, and you can take medical reports of what actually happened there, and those are all good. But to me... Uh, this is a, a major thing that John says, you know, I saw that this, I saw this, and I'm testifying that it was true, and I'm saying from an eyewitness account that it's true that you might believe. But he also then said in his epistle, don't believe every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Many false prophets are gone into the world, and here's how we know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. This piercing of all other things that happened to Jesus, all of those horrible things that he endured for you and for me, this action right here proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus died, and he died in the flesh. He did not die in some existential or ethereal way. He died as a human being. And this absolutely happened. But the mode in which it happened. Because if, if they didn't pierce his heart, if they didn't break his bones, somebody could have said, well, you know, he really wasn't dead. You know, they took him down, but he, he's not dead yet. They took him down, but he's really not dead. And he, he didn't rise from the dead. He just, he just rebounded from a bad, bad couple of days. People would have said that. They made all kinds of other crazy excuses uh, that Herod was calculating and the Sanhedrin were calculating. So this right here, this piercing of the spear, is really the thing that the Antichrist cannot stand. He cannot stand it, first of all, for what the spear represents. Now, after it's proven that Jesus actually did die as son of God and son of man. But what about this not breaking of the bones? Because that is inextricably linked here. Well, of course, the purity of the Passover lamb. I chose one verse that says, Exodus 12, 46. In one house shall it be eaten. You shall not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. It had to be a perfect sacrifice given, understood. That's true. But it really, uh, this, this reference to the piercing is used in a number of other scriptures, and then we're going to talk about what that bone represents. 
Zechariah 12.10, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. The spirit of grace and supplication is absolutely aligned with this. Because God gives you the authority to move on behalf of wherever he sends you to welcome the new in partnership with him. That spear is a kingly type of authority. And it also speaks about what the bones represent. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Revelation 1, chapter, ver verse, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. God has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Isn't that great? Look at the link there in Revelation. There is to be kings and priests before God. Again, deals with this measure of representing God on earth and dwelling with that authority of, of the spear. The delivery of the contrite of the brokenhearted righteous. Psalm 34, verses 17 through 20. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken. There is an importance when we become contrite before God and caught up into that secret place of thunder. There is an importance of us uh, partnering with God and truly letting our heart be broken with the things that are of God. And that is a wonderful prophetic, not only a prophetic picture, but something that was made possible through the breaking of Jesus' heart by this spear, by this piercing as you give your heart and your spirit, and it is broken before God. But the part of it is here that it, it throws in this business of the bone. Not one bone is broken. Now, you know, some people would read this on surface, and they'd say, well, what does that mean? Is that a promise that through life you'll never have a broken bone? Well, if that's the case, I'm disqualified. Because I remember one day we had come, Kelly and I would come back from a trip to Morningstar, and we were broadsided by an uh, underage kid with his drunken father, and my collarbone snapped right in two. So I guess, you know, God delivered us out of that, and uh, he, he blessed us, but I guess this really doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer any broken bones when you kick something in the middle of the night with a bare foot and your toe, one of your toe bones breaks or something like that. You know, don't be laying, God can preserve you, God can heal you, but this is, this is really speaking about that business of the fact that Jesus at Calvary did not have a broken bone. No, so what do the bones represent? This is not medical 101, and you can see, hang with me, we're just going to mention these and read this last passage, and then we're going to have communion. The skeletal system, you can look this up, does basically five main things. Number one, it allows for body support. And it, it really keeps you upright so that you don't just walk around like a bowl full of jello, you know? Well, some of us do in certain parts of our body, but, but um, I'm just looking up at the flag right now as I say that. But it also gives you a facilitation of movement, you know? I remember when, when, and God, thank God he healed me perfectly. I'm well and strong. But when I had that broken collarbone, and any of you who did, you know, you ain't moving around very well. You've got to go through therapy, and you've got to press that thing with the rubber bands and all the other things they have you doing. And uh, uh, while that bone is broken, you've got a busted flipper. You are not moving. And so the bones really give you the opportunity to have a facilitation of movement. It protects all the internal organs as well, or most of them. 
at least the ones that really determine whether you're alive or die. And it's weird, too, that the bones are a tremendous storage place uh, of minerals and in some degree of fat. And, and it, it kind of regulates from the bones. You can read, I was reading about this, I was fascinated by it, that the bones can be like a storehouse of things that really give you energy and strength. And of course, then we know about the marrow and how the, the blood cell formation comes so that the blood is what it should be. And so those are the main things. If you have any questions about it, you can ask Rachel about it, who's a nurse. She'll tell you all about it. Um, but those are the main things that the bones represent. And so for the body of Christ and for what we are, um, for the fact that none of his bones were broken, that means in the spirit realm, every one of these things we need to be relying on. It's a big thing. It is a, it, With a spear of authority, yes. But we should know God has given us the ability to see his body extended throughout the world and to have movement there and to have the, the, the chief and the choicest things of God protected by him. And for whatever every joint needs to supply, that is conveyed. And for us to be able to move powerfully in the blood of Jesus, that, that we would fail in nothing. And I'm just barely touching on this, but those are the kinds of things that I feel we need to be laying claim to in this hour. And, you know, not long ago, I talked about the dream that God gave me about the oil in the left hand and how that the leprosy uh, that the Bible speaks about God is, is beginning to work and bring healing throughout the body of Christ. I think that these bones uh, are, are, being, are being touched and uh, personified by God right now of what his body wants to be. And, you know, I end with this well-known passage in Ezekiel 37. Um, the prophet says in verse 1, The hand of Yahweh was upon me and carried me out into the Spirit and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. That's a good answer. Again, he said unto me, try that in school. What's five times five? Teacher, you know. <laughs> See the principle. I answered, Lord God, thou knowest. And again, he said to me, prophesy unto these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. Not one of Jesus' bones were broken. There is, in this world, the body of Christ is awaiting to awaken. There are many that, uh, the structure of what God put in, in line uh, from the foundation of the world, it, it seems dry. It may have even been forgotten. But we move, as we come before communion today, I want you to not only give thanks to the Lord for all that he's provided for you, and for all that he's moving in you as a son, moving in his wisdom. But I want you to begin to think and to look as we come out of this seventh month into the month of August, as we depart from this month of the fast of feasting, and we begin to go into the eighth month, the, the, the month of, of new beginnings. I want you to begin to declare to the nations of this world and to the young people that are called to be Elishas but are moving in the dryness that, that is represented by a lack of the Spirit of God moving within them. I want you to begin to be like Ezekiel and say, I prophesy to you because God, His Son, in the person of his son, he died upon that cross and not one of his bones was broken. And the world is looking at him who was pierced. And we as contrite ones are laying claim to the promise of what the bones of God Almighty represent. And we declare that the blood of Jesus is moving upon those dry bones. 
we declare that as the Spirit of the Lord comes, that all of those deposits of the glory and those nutrients of the divine nature are going to be resurrected and brought into vitality again. We declare that those precious things that God has ordained are going not only to be preserved, but to begin functioning again. We declare that there is going to be a movement of the body of Christ unlike anything the world has ever seen. And we declare that it is going to stand up straight and be known as a champion of the throne of God. These are all things that when you read in the book of Revelation, them that pierced him are going to look at the kings and priests and they're going to wail. Do you see that? Why didn't it say, and this was, this was John and Jesus talking here in Revelation. You know, why didn't it say they're going to look at the one that they hung on the tree, or the one that was beaten, or the one that sacrificed himself? Well, that's something that the Antichrist doesn't want to admit. So why would he be talking about that? The one thing that he regrets is that he is allowing people to be contrite before God and to call upon God and to become kings and priests and to see the stretch of the move of the body of Christ throughout the earth. They're going to wail about that remembrance of the piercing that broke no bones. That's the significance of this. And we need to be prophesying to these dry bones. You know, and I, I, I don't fault Ezekiel. It was kind of a weird encounter. Oh, I better should not say weird. It was a peculiar and probably unsettling encounter. How's that? Um, but when he's asking, these bones live? And he says, Lord, you know, I joked about that. But really, I think that all of us should say, Father, you know your timing for this. And it is his timing. And we need to begin to declare over the body of Christ. We need to be declaring over the streets that are crying out in wisdom right now. And we need to be wise to know that our enemy who pierced the Lord and took great delight and glee in it is trying everything he can to demonstrate what he thinks wisdom should be, his own version of wisdom. But we who know God, we who have the fear of the Lord in us, we need to recognize that this is what God is doing, and we need to begin to act like we know it. And we need to begin looking for what God says He's going to do as He pours His Spirit out upon these ones. That um, the enemy has come in, those who fear the Lord, God is looking at them, and He's going to pour His Spirit out. He's going to raise the standard. And this is what we need to begin believing for. So this two-part message... Uh, I still, I didn't take you well past 1 o'clock. We're, we're just cresting 1230 right now. So um, as we approach this communion table, or this communion, it's not really a table, this ark, <laughs> uh, I want you to, let's do what we used to do back, back before all this COVID stuff brought restrictions. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to come and to let's find a place to pray and you don't come up here in a in a crowd but come up when you see there's a gap in space you just come up and get the bread and, and the juice and go and commune with the Lord but in the midst of this I want you to thank him for the spirit of wisdom and I want you to thank him that he's giving you an anointing to perceive things through eyes that perhaps have not been activated up to this point. And I want you to begin to prophesy and declare, well, you take this bread and you take this wine and you say, Lord, thank you that your bones were not broken. And through that, yes, we're grateful for your broken heart. Yes, we are grateful that this proved in no uncertain terms that you actually did die as a man. The enemy hates that. But we're taking it a step beyond now as kings and priests and we're beginning to declare to the bones to the dry bones the power and the vitality of the bones of our body of Christ amen father I thank you for this congregation in this house and for the congregation of saints around the world that are joining with us today and I thank you 
that there is an efficacy of your power that's being extended in this place, but to every place where the saints of God are gathered. And Father, I pray that you would bring a visitation of your spirit upon every one of these dear people. I ask you and I thank you that you've been providing for every one of us. If there are those in this room today who have needs in their body or in any other way, I release the power of God into you now and I declare total freedom, total provision, and total victory. May you know it now in your heart that it is so and may you see it manifest itself in the coming hours and days. Father, as we come before this table now, I particularly thank you for your body and for your blood. And I thank you that through this month of fast of feasting, we have been working diligently to surrender any form of bitterness and to speak truth and peace. And now, Lord, we come triumphantly and we remember to declare thanks to you that in the midst of your sacrifice, None of your bones were broken. And we can declare fully into the body of Christ those dry bones and those vibrant ones throughout the world, the efficacy and the power of our God. Lord, let it be so. Keep teaching us, Father. We're your sons. We humble ourselves before you. And we ask that you would draw us near and let us know your ways. Let us know your timing. Let us be prepared for what you're going to do in the days to come. So bless this time, Father, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's come and let's, uh, again, don't crowd up here together. You know, we, you know people are watching. Let's, let's not be uh, COVID-idiots, you know. Let's not... Let's not gather together and see, see there, they're not social distancing. Even Dennis and I have six foot space here between us. So we're all under the blood. We're not worried about that. But let's just spend time before the Lord. Let's come up and get the, the, uh, the elements and let's enjoy his presence. Amen. All right. God bless you.